This morning we're reading um, from God's Word, from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. Acts 5, 17 through 42. Reading from the words of our compassionate Heavenly Father, uh, before we read God's Word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in this passage of Scripture, we see the work of the Holy Spirit enabling your apostles to faithfully obey you in joy, to rejoice in the privilege of sharing the gospel in the midst of an impressive, hostile environment. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts as each of us has need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting at verse 17 of Acts 5. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him They called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, 
whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody and a number of men. About 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So the greatest testimony and the most abiding influence a Christ-like woman or man, whether married, whether a mother or father, or a single person gives is your trust in God through the sunny and dark places of life. The Apostle Peter's courageous testimony in Acts 5.32 in the midst of imprisonment, persecution, and trial is to be our daily testimony. We ought to obey God rather than men. But it is only a heart yielded to the Holy Spirit that can give that testimony. Because the passage also says in verse 32 that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit enabled Margaret Falk, the wife of Pastor Jonathan Falk, a mother, the mother to their three children, to obey God rather than men. In the excellent book, Choosing the Good Portion, we have two copies of it in the library, there is a, that book is a written in tribute to the mothers, godly mothers, godly women uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church since its founding in 19. 19- 
36. But in that book, there is a chapter on Margaret Falk and Jonathan Falk um, and their imprisonment uh, by the Eritrean government uh, in the year 2007, in August of 2007. Now, on the last day of her imprisonment in an Eritrean cell, Margaret Falk came to a surprising realization. There is no place, she said, I'd rather be than in this Eritrean jail. No place I would rather be than in this Eritrean jail. That 15 by 12 foot cell had no beds. It was concrete floor. It had one plastic bucket in the middle and she was placed there with dozens of Eritrean Christian women who had been rounded up in the house church and taken to that prison. This happened on August 29th, 2007. Because it was that morning that the Eritrean authorities came to the house where the Eritrean church was worshiping God. And Jonathan Falk was leading the service. And the authorities rounded them all up and brought them to prison. Now there was to be a prison uh, that was for the men and there was a prison for the women. But at the last moment, the Eritrean authorities decided to put missionary Jonathan Falk with the women and with his wife. And that didn't last long. Eventually, by nightfall, um, Margaret and Jonathan were separated from each other. And for the next week, for Margaret, the week would prove trying and triumphant as the Lord led her from discouragement to triumph, delighting that it was God's holy will for her to be in prison. And rejoicing in the fellowship she had with other Eritrean women huddled in prayer, giving testimony to God for his goodness. So Margaret would awake in the mornings with an aching back from sleeping on a concrete floor. And she would sing to the Eritrean women this great old hymn, Whatever my God ordains is right. His holy will abides. I will be still whatever he does and follow wherever he guides. He is my God, though dark the way he holds me, and I shall not fall. I will leave to my God my life. This is the refrain that is to be the refrain of every godly woman and man. It brings delight, no matter how hostile and oppressive our circumstances.
and it leaves a legacy of faith in Christ to those left behind, whatever they do with that legacy. This is a passage about trusting the sovereign purposes of God because his holy will is always right. It is a passage about the grace the Holy Spirit gives to rejoice in Christ even in the face of death because Christ has stripped death of its power. It is a passage that testifies that our purpose in life, if we truly believe in a resurrected Lord, is to live for him whatever the oppression we face in life. It's helpful to us all, this passage, no matter what we face. Because even though we may not ever go through what these apostles went through, we live in an oppressive America in various ways. But the darker it is, the greater the light of Christ shines. So, three points. Trust in sovereign purposes, live out Christ's priorities, and rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit. So trust God's sovereign purposes. So there's three waves of persecution in Acts 5. Uh, Three um, torrents, floods of persecution and oppression in Acts 5. The first one is found in verses 17 and 18. So after the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, the apostles continued to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in testifying to Jesus Christ um, in public in Solomon's porch or colonnade. They testified with unusual power through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of one of these sessions, the temple police closed in on them, took them captive, and tossed them into the Jerusalem jail. Why? Well, the evil one was able to work through the Sadducees who were filled with jealousy towards the apostles. Why are the crowds going out to them and not us? The dark, deceptive power of jealousy is destructive. And we find Satan seeking to use that jealousy, but to no avail to prevent a testimony to the gospel. They were jealous. You know, jealousy is an ugly word except when used of God. Proverbs 6, 6.34, jealousy arouses the fury of a husband. It is always, and by nature, destructive in human beings. It's a sin against Almighty God 
that results in harm to others. These Sadducees were envious of the popularity of the apostles. They were self-protective of their fame, at least in their mind, their fame, and their prestige. The crowd should be hearing them, not the apostles. They were, they were moved by the lowest of possible and most contemptible of motives. And when their hatred poured out, they had the apostles arrested and thrown into prison. All the apostles were in prison together. They were not alone. God's people are intended to support each other. And God sovereignly ensured that the apostles would suffer together, where they could strengthen and encourage one another. God is in control the whole way. And the prison guards perhaps never saw anything like this before because the apostles were calm, they were steadfast, they were trusting in God's almighty goodness. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey God. If what we see here is any is after the pattern of what happened in the uh, prison of Philippi, where Paul and Silas sang praises to God, Perhaps they were singing praises to the steadfast love of God in the midst of prison and giving testimony of their trust in the sovereign purposes of God. And what happened in verses 19 through 21? They're delivered. This, there's a divine deliverance through angelic intervention. either because the guards were lulled to sleep or the apostles were made invisible temporarily, the apostles are delivered by an angel. They're out in the street joyfully in deliverance that God has wrought because he's sovereign. Even over prisons, God is sovereign. And they're then going out as God commanded them into the temple to proclaim life in Jesus Christ. Why the angelic intervention? Because God was showing his servants in prison that he is able to deliver them any place, anytime, anywhere if he sees fit. And that intervention of deliverance is, was meant not only to free them, but to encourage them and to empower them that God would give them every grace they needed to bear testimony to Jesus Christ and to be his lights. The apostles now had another proof that their God is able to snatch them from the oppression of the world and the cruelty of this world. The Apostle Paul will later write 
in 2 Corinthians 4 that during his imprisonment and trial, there was a time when no one stood with him, but he says, the Lord stood with me and delivered me from the lion's mouth. And he would grant me, Paul said, a safe deliverance into the glorious kingdom of God. Nothing can thwart and defeat the purposes of Almighty God. Let me go through the apostles. They knew that God's presence was with them. They knew that Jesus defeated death by his resurrection, and therefore they did not dread death. They anticipated being near, right in the presence of Jesus, the ascended king, and that made all the difference in their daily life, bearing testimony to Christ. It's what gave them courage. Matthew knew that when he was slain by the sword as a martyr. James knew that when he was beheaded in Jerusalem. Peter knew that when he was crucified upside down. Philip knew that when he was hung. Luke knew that when he was hung from a big olive tree in Greece. Matthias knew that when he was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas knew that when he was also stoned and then beheaded. The apostles, one by one, knew the presence and power of God. John's real, that was John's realization when he was put in a cauldron of burning oil and banished to an island. Mark knew that when he died in Alexandria after he was dragged to his death. Bartholomew knew that when he was scourged and beaten and Philip knew that when he was hung. Andrew knew that when he was bound to a cross and preached at the top of his lungs until he went to heaven. Jude knew that when he was killed by an executioner's arrows. And Thomas knew that when he was run through by a lance. All of these died knowing they were anchored to the unchanging love of God in Jesus Christ. All of these knew that, and from the centuries onward, those who have died for Christ or died in Christ, however they have died, have known that because God chose them in love, he would keep them in his love. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. And then Paul goes on as if he's looking for every word in the language to describe the unfathomable and um, unchanging love of God. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, help me language, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A believer in Christ never dies in defeat. They only die to a safe delivery into heaven. These all died knowing God would deliver them either through circumstances or from them. And God will always deliver his people through circumstances and from them. No matter how dark the wave of oppression or the pain of trial, he is able to deliver trust his sovereign purposes. You know, in the second chapter of Exodus, we see a couple bound to the eternal purposes of God and his faithfulness. And despite the command of Pharaoh that all Hebrew males are to be drowned in the river Nile, they saw their baby Moses as a child of promise and they protected him as long as they could but that day came when they had to put baby Moses in a basket with Miriam his sister watching from a short distance away I would take it this is one of the most dramatic passages in the Bible. God providentially leads this couple to put baby Moses in a basket, and then God brings the princess of Pharaoh to that basket. She sees that basket. She notices that he's a beautiful child, and she adopts him. And then Miriam steps forward and says, I know an ideal woman to nurse that child. And unbeknownst to Pharaoh, the princess of Pharaoh, is Moses' own mother, who can plant the seeds of the story of God's people and of this great sovereign God in Moses' 
and it would not leave him. And this is what Pharaoh's daughter says to Moses' biological mother. Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. You know, God says that to every mother still. Our children do not belong to us. They belong to God. And we raise our children for God's glory. God says, take this child and nourish he or she for me, and I will give you your wages. We are faithful to the trust God has given us. We lay up treasure in heaven. In the midst of an oppressive culture, we may ask the question, how will our children remain faithful? How will our grandchildren be faithful? This is not a Christian nation. It hasn't been for a generation. And it's only getting worse. But God's grace is unchanged. God is able to deliver your children, your grandchildren, to faithfulness of Christ. And not only them, God is able to use them to pull others out of the fire. I pray we have a generation of children and grandchildren of mothers and fathers who fear God more than man. We see this same testimony in Hannah. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Or chapter 1. Hannah was grieved. She had no children. Her husband had another wife, Penina. Penina mocked Hannah for no children. So now did she have the shame and reproach that the culture put on her for not having children. She had the shame and reproach of a woman she had to live near. But God gave her children. Hannah said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will raise him for you. And we read that Hannah did that. Verse 27 of 1 Samuel 1, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. What is your purpose for your children and grandchildren? What is your ambition? What do you want to see God do? Like Hannah, respond to the gift of your child or your grandchild and surrender them to the Lord. Surrender yourself to the Lord. Surrender them to the Lord. Pray and ask God to bless your children with the gift of faith 
and pray that God would keep them in his sovereign love. Trust his divine priorities. So not only were the apostles divinely delivered, moving back to Acts 5, but they were also divinely commissioned. Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of what? This life. The language here in verse 20 suggests a command to have dogged persistence in living for Jesus Christ, putting him before men, and being witnesses to the gospel. They were to hold their ground. They were to stand firm through the power of the Holy Spirit with the liberating message of eternal life in Christ. Go stand in the temple and speak to them the message of this life. This life, what is that? That's new life in Jesus Christ. A special gift of grace from a loving God. God takes the gospel. God takes his word through the power of the Holy Spirit and he renews a dead will and makes that person alive in Jesus Christ to new life. He does it irresistibly. He does it by changing the affections and hearts of a person. And when he does it, no one can resist him. But they will come willingly to the Savior who gave his life for them. St. Irenaeus, of course we're all saints, holy in Christ, uh, but that was his name. The glory of God is man fully alive. When God pours into us new life, we become righteous in the righteousness of Christ. We become alive and God is wonderfully glorified because it is God who does it. God who does it. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never hunger. And John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life is the light of men. 1 John 1, 1 and 2, the Apostle John declares, I proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has been manifest to us. Regardless of how oppressive and hostile the surroundings, regardless of how hard-hearted your loved one's heart is, we are meant to pray for them and not stop praying for them. We are meant to be examples of Christ to them and do our utmost to keep an open door of love with them. We are commanded to do all we can to bear witness to the gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this passage calls us to a dogged persistence 
in living for Christ in spite of the oppression of people. We may today have loved ones who despite our teaching them the gospel, despite our living for them before Christ, living for Christ before them, in spite of our pleading with them and praying for them, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are to trust that in living out God's priorities in this life and loving the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything, that our God is able to irresistibly bring the hardened to himself, wayward children. And to recognize that because our priority is to cling to Jesus Christ by faith, we are not to permit Satan to use our failures to keep us or to make us despair of God's grace. And what I mean by that, there is only one perfect father. We all fail. We all fail as parents. We all fail as sons or daughters. Jesus is the perfect son, so he could die to cleanse away the stain of sin of imperfect children who are repentant. And no matter what we've done wrong or failed to do that's right, it does not change your status of being a redeemed child of God and loved by him and, and beautified in the covering of Christ's perfect righteousness. And it never will. Live for Jesus Christ. And it's interesting in this passage, the bitter reproach of the Sadducees get us a glimpse into the entire pathology of oppression. Mighty rulers like Vladimir Putin are people driven by fear. The fear of the guilt of their sin before God and the fear that they'll be displaced. And that's exactly how the Sadducees are reacting to the apostles. And God, in the end, every knee will bow. The apostles here experience magnificent liberation. We ought to obey God, not man. While the Sadducees are bound by fear, the apostles are freed by faith. And they're following in the footsteps of great saints like Daniel and his three friends 
who when bound and brought before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar refused to bow with the threat of being thrown into the fire. And what did they declare to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3, 16 through 18? Nebuchadnezzar, do what you will. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to you. We are called to obey God more than man. And so when any government forbids us to do what God requires or encourages us to do what God forbids, we are to obey God. I'm going to close this by going back to Margaret Falk. When she was in prison, she contacted the embassy officials and they promised to come and intervene. They came and asked the jailer, are there any Americans here? And the jailer said, um, no, there's no Americans. They're not here. So she left. So he left, the embassy official, and it was a discouraging blow to her. She had to remain in jail. That evening, when the women huddled in the cell to pray and give testimony to Christ, it was during that time God changed Margaret's heart. She writes, he just humbled me to the core and showed me I needed to stop trusting in myself or anything else and trust in God. God would have me there as long as he wanted to and would accomplish his will through me. That the Spirit enables us to live out God's priorities. And then last, the presence. God had given them the presence of the Holy Spirit. We read that in verse 32. And so, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, which God has given to those who obey him. Boldly and without hindrance, they preach the kingdom of God. Now, I know we're not facing the same oppression they did. Our oppression is more subtle. However, the same applies. Renew your surrender to the Holy Spirit today. Give yourself to the Lord in a fresh way. Lord, give me the grace through the Holy Spirit to obey you. To live for your glory. Because then the Holy Spirit will give you the peace and power, no matter what the oppression, to serve him. So, trust his sovereign purposes. Live out his priorities and surrender 
to the Holy Spirit. It has to be God's work through us, not ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your purposes stand true, no matter what our circumstances. And we thank you, Lord, that it is your Holy Spirit's power, the power of your resurrection life, that enables us to live for your priorities. Give us grace to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.